With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to another episode of the Giant Take Podcast. I am Josh and I am joined by my co-host Alex. We are here to talk New York Giants as we always are. And as you can tell by the title or the or the description or how long the episode is, um, depends on one of those three factors. We are joined by our friend Justin Pennick in a few minutes. Super fun interview there. We had a really great time. And uh, we're just embracing the fact that this episode is going to go over an hour because that's just how it be. And uh, I don't love it. I'm sure Alex does. We always, conf- you know, we have a conflicting relationship on how. I don't love long episodes either, but sometimes I think if it's a long, good episode, then it's worth it. I hate that he loves long episodes. I love short episodes because I think it's better for you listeners as it is for me recording them and editing as well. Which I don't know, whatever, whatever. I don't need to. Alex, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing all right. I broke my finger yesterday, so I'm not, you know, in the best area. So I'm really blunt now. So I'm just, I'm just going to be honest. And then injury prone Alex onto an Inj- injury prone Alex. You've even missed some episodes or we've had a delay. I remember in the fall when you got the concussion, we had. Yeah, to, that was uh, pretty bad. And delay, then I had an episode. Bro- broke my foot. So it took me 10 hours to get upstairs. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely definitely some struggles for me there, but you know we're we're grinding through. Doesn't matter. Keep going through June of nothingness in Giants Land. Seriously, uh, <laughs> and, we have somethingness. Yeah, we do have somethingness. But I had a lot of fun with the interview with Justin. It was great time. I talked a lot. Justin talked a time. lot. It was a great time. Justin talked a lot. I talked a lot. Josh talked a little. It was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Just what I want. Just what I wanted. <laughs> um, but yeah, let, let's get into what we got so far. We got a few pieces of news talking about the Giants and OTAs, and we can just kind of run through it since our last episode. We're recording this on Monday night, June 6th. So we have the dates of when this other stuff happened, and it was after our other episode, so that's why we have it here. Starting off with June 1st, the Giants had a special uh, visitor on Wednesday, last Wednesday that is, and this is cool because they had a few visitors, and I wanted to mention them, and I put them down here in our in our uh, outline, the visitors that came to the Giants OTAs. It was the two-time Super Bowl champion and Giants legend Justin Tuck stopped by to watch the uh, practice, and he was talking to Brian Dable um, at the conclusion of practice as well. Also, a few other things that happened on that June 1st OTA date. The first team drills were seven on sevens, and then they got started with Daniel Jones finding rookie tight end Daniel Bellinger in the end zone for a short touchdown. He's a big part of the interview. We're going to tease it forever now. This is going to be bad. But he is a big part of this interview with Justin. Um, we also have linebacker Nico Lalos. He could be slotted into both uh, touchdown and takeaway categories on June 1st. He had um, the offensive uh, backed against the goal line, batted down a pass and intercepted in the end zone for a touchdown all in one motion. Lalos, who intercept, uh, who was um, undrafted out of Dartmouth in 2020, has two takeaways, one interception and one fumble recovery in just six career games. Alex? Very exciting couple days there, Josh. Now we're going to move to June 2nd, which is obviously the most exciting day of them all. Uh, all-time Giants great Michael Strahan was on the sideline watching practice. We saw the photos on the Giants' Twitter. Uh, Strahan was talking with uh, Brian Dable, Joe, uh, GM Joe Shane. He was also there with former teammate Jesse Armstead, who now serves as the special assistant to the GM. Uh, so Strahan and Armstead were both drafted by the Giants in the 1993 NFL Draft and went on to spend the next nine and uh, and nine seasons in the NFL together 
So obviously a nice relationship there, hanging out with Joe Shane and Brian Dable. Uh, Also, uh, again, on June 2nd here, former offensive lineman Kevin Booth was also present for practice and spent a good amount of time talking with Shane. Booth was a part of both the 2007 and 2011 Super Bowl teams and started all four playoff games during the Giants' run to winning Super Bowl 46. And finally, on June 2nd, uh, prior to practice, Coach Dable was asked about two of the team's young, promising players in Andrew Thomas and Kayvon Thibodeau, both spotted wearing red jerseys. He said the following, Look, the guys are still in red jerseys. They're rehabbing. When they're ready to go, they'll be ready to go. When asked whether or not Thibodeau would be ready for next week's minicamp, Dable said the team is taking it day by day. I'm not expecting him to be out of a red jersey today. We'll just start things. With, we'll just start with today. We'll see next week how it goes. There's a lot of things that can happen over the weekend, and that's your wrap for June 2nd of OTAs. Yes, now so exciting. We move to June 3rd, and we have another Giants alum in the building. This one being the hero a Super Bowl XLVI, Mario Manningham. He was on the sideline at the practice. Two-time Super Bowl champion Sean Lindetta was also there. Look at all these Giants alums. Look at the system that we have here with the New York Giants. What a great community um, of former players coming together to help out these young guys. Next thing on the list, a joint practice is going to be scheduled far in advance, about three months in advance. We have the Giants and Jets. They're going to have a joint practice together in the week leading up to their preseason game on August 28th. It's actually the first time both teams are having a joint practice since 2005. You would think it would be happening more often, but some stuff leads to another, and these Giants and Jets practices have gotten ugly in the past, so that's why they took a little break. Little, a lot, a long break, uh, but they're getting back together, I guess, for, for joint practices before the preseason game. And our final piece of news here that we would like to talk about, Saquon Barkley getting a lot of time practicing in a wide receiver position at OTAs. We knew this coming into it. Passing game threat for Brian Dable. Knew it was coming. That's from Jordan Ronon, who reported that there, the ESPN reporter covering the New York Giants. With that, a few things I want to shout out right now. Go follow us on Twitter at the Giant Take Pod. And TikTok by the same name, The Giant Take Pod. Instagram and Facebook, The Giant Take Podcast. Alex on Twitter at Anorian23. I'm on Twitter at JoshHill29. Subscribe. Apple Podcast, Spotify, Pandora, TuneIn, Stitcher. Uh, you can also go to ShipItStudios.com slash Giant Take to find out more places to listen. Um, and subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, The Giant Take on there as well. If you want to watch this interview, it should be out on YouTube. So exciting stuff there but for right now just stay tuned listen because this episode is not done yet alex will let you know where we're going now we are now going to our interview with giants our giant take hall of famer justin Pennick. that's a great introduction there uh hope everyone enjoys the interview We are back now with a very special guest. He's the co-host on Talking Giants, Bleeding Blue, contributor to Talking Football, and is a Giant Take Hall of Famer. Justin Pennick, how are you doing today? Hi, the Giant Take, Josh, Alex, some of my favorite people in the entire world. Um, thank you for having me on. It's been a while Seriously. since we've chatted, and I hate that. I hate that it's been so long. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. But I'm glad that we're here and we're going to we're going to do what we do and we're going to talk some giants. Yeah, for sure. It's been a while. I want to say it was episode 100 or 150. Like I don't was... know how many episodes we're at. 100. I no, say. we celebrated a milestone. Yeah, that was together. a celebration. That was the last one. So 100. So we're at what? Like 170 something at this point. I don't know. But at this point, I just oh, want to. Yeah. yeah, we're on 172. Yeah, this this yeah. episode will be 172, but um, I just want to point out that Alex, whatever you missed, you missed us because we did do a video yes. during the season, Justin. We did, yes. which was really fun actually. It was the quarterback situation around the New York Giants. That was yes, 
Yes, that was an impromptu. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And Alex oh, because I was like sick or something. I something. Uh, one, I one of your many. Well, one, one of one of my various ailments, but. Um, <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I mean, you've been up to a lot of things since then. I mean, you've been talking to players. Andrew Thomas was in your van. It looked like you were about to kidnap him. I'm not sure what was going on there. <laughs> you did. So w- w- what you happened did, there? Were you in like a parking lot? Did you just see him like Met walking Stadium, out? Like, hey, Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> no, it was um. So it, it was the, uh, the 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 parking lot of MetLife Stadium. And it was basically just they got out of OTAs. It was like the first day of like everybody getting together for OTAs. So then Bobby, you know, was messaging him on Instagram. He follows our, our Instagram page. And, you know, they were like, hey, do you want to be interviewed this offseason? Yeah. And then Bobby was coming up for a charity event that we didn't wind up covering because of the rain that day. And that's when we did the Andrew Thomas interview. So it was it was rain. Oh my God. So we had all these different setups of the camera because it was raining outside and we couldn't put the camera outside as, Oh, is the guy that we have with us from John boy media? Is he going to stand out there with the umbrella and hold the over the camera or no, are we going to put some blankets on, uh, on the bottom of the camera so it can stand on a piece of furniture. And it was nuts, but it wound up, the sun wound up coming up. Andrew Thomas came out in his black Ford, uh, Ford in his black Dodge F F one fifty. I need to stop saying Ford F one fifty. Black Dodge Ram fifteen hundred, all supercharged, all blacked out. It was really really sick. <laughs> and um, yeah, we kidnapped him for about a half an hour, and we we chatted with him. And since the last time That's we nice. talked, you uh, you also have you know gone to some other places. I know this was a while ago now. Before the draft, you went to the Senior Bowl, which by the way, like one of the most amazing few days of watching your guys's content i think i've ever like like the most enjoyment i've ever had laughing <laughs> loving talking giants the couch live streams the bleeding blue episode oh i gosh. was that had to be the funniest bleeding blue episode i've ever listened to in my entire <laughs> life with the prank call <laughs> and it was a uh- we we did like a simple man radio thing too. Oh, simple man and, radio. Um, That's what so I meant. The senior That's what bowl I coverage. Yeah, simple man radio. The senior bowl coverage is actually something that I really want to revamp next year, and I want to make a lot better. Um, like the simple man radio on the couch thing was absolutely fantastic, but the senior bowl coverage itself, um, there's not a lot of people that do it. There's a lot of people that go, and there's a lot of people that talk about what's going on. But um, I find that there's there's just so much that you can do that week. So I'm really excited to really like reflecting on this is my first year full time for the draft. Um, and this is Bobby's and I's first uh, year that we're full time together with the draft where he does a lot of like the breakdowns and stuff. And then I help put that out and I kind of like edit, produce everything. So I'm excited to actually get to next year's draft to see how, mo- how much more we can do on both the giant channel and the football channel. So I'm, I'm really pumped for that. But the Senior Bowl was a lot of fun. I There's a lot of times where it's like, yeah, the draft is work. That's a lot of work. The Senior Bowl was that week where it's like, this is just really fun. Being in Alabama, um, we were down with the football grump. We were down with Snacks, Bobby. So we all got to hang out. We all went to a, a, an Alabama like local bar <laughs> afterwards and after we were all done. And that was really, really fun. So Yeah, I mean, you, you're mentioning it. A lot of people go to the Senior Bowl, but then you look online and you're, at least for us, we're watching at home or whatever. And it's like, you know, you can watch the NFL network, you know, show that what's going but on. What, you, you have no really idea. Know. You know, you see all these people like this guy had a really great. How do we know? We didn't see anything. So you guys, there yeah. was a couple other people who I definitely relied on as well. It was nice to get more content from the senior bowl, having more videos of clips, you know, of, of things happening rather than just kind of hearing it, uh, you know, afterwards, because yeah. you, you want to see things with your own eyes. Right. So. That that's that's always a, a thing you want to see. Just like at the combine, that's why you're there to watch the combine. All million hours of it, uh, <laughs> it feels like. But you want to see everything. You don't want to miss anything. So, I, I appreciated yeah. your, your guys's content. And I mean, you can get the reports on players during drills, and you can get videos of snacks doing karaoke. I mean, it's really what do you want more out of Senior Bowl? Yes. It, that's it's. And sure. then also, I was surprised. I know what I want. <laughs> I was surprised Snacks didn't get kicked out of the Senior Bowl. How did that happen? He was able to keep it, keep it, keep oh. his cool. Oh well, yeah, he was able to keep his cool. He had an in with the people of Alabama uh-huh. uh, right away. He just showed. He showed up at that bar, showed up at the stadium, just started making friends. What Snacks is a genius because he he'll make friends with the people that 
he needs to make friends with, and then he can act like right. a fool. That's his approach. And it's beautiful. But he got, there was that, the one little beef with the person at the bar, right? That the whole, the prank call that you guys did after. Oh. Oh, yeah, that yeah, person there was. was a, uh, there was a guy, <laughs> there was a guy that wore rings on his yes. fingers. And Snacks was talking to a lady, and I think this guy didn't like that Snacks. Well, no, Snacks wasn't even like flirting, outwardly flirting <laughs> with this woman. But, uh, you know, women just go up to yeah. Snacks because, I mean, everybody, men, women, dinosaurs, everybody just goes yeah. up to Snacks. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, this one guy wasn't liking it. So then we prank called him. Valid. I mean, Good yeah. response. I think he's, he's snacks snacks somehow got his phone number, even though he wanted yeah. to fight snacks. Cause that's I, just who snacks is. And, uh, then we prank called him. It yes. works out. And then Charlotte motor speedway recently race. Super, <laughs> super exciting stuff. Super fun stuff. Watching that. How, what did you think overall rating of the experience the weekend? Oh my God. Well, uh, of the live show or <laughs> the NASCAR race on the weekend? I mean, I've, separate the events. Live, the live show. Yeah, is I was going to say separate events. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the live show with Mr. Brown, like Mr. Brownstone, uh, Tim Coffey, Research Rick, uh, Tucker Cherry, um, uh, and then Stephen uh, Stephen Toronto from CBS Sports was also on too. So uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Mr. Brownstone, we're going to be playing that drop. I want to win games. I just want to. I just want to win. I bet he bet he bet he don't want to win. Like just his <laughs> deep Southern accent with us saying that he wants to win while he was on Natty Daddies. Um, that was <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And also since the last time we've had you on, <laughs> the new John Boy Media offices opened, right? Oh, yeah. So that was in the city. Yeah, that, yes. that also happened. So that I've seen you guys were there for the draft. I want to say right, or yeah. unless you were in mm-hmm. some other secret location. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, we streamed all 17 hours. Did you sleep there? Um, of the NFL draft. Did you sleep there? <laughs> oh, well, I slept in yeah. New York. So I got so they got me a hotel in yeah. New York. Um, but I was close to sleeping in the office because you know we would put an episode, put out you know the the streams, and then we would do the prep that we needed to do, and then we would record you know the episodes and whatever. So um, it was a long weekend. It was a long week. I mean, and the draft weekend is always the longest weekend. It's the most important weekend. Um, really out, out of the entire year, but 17 hours of the draft and we did it all from, uh, from the John boy media HQ. So that was a cool setup, you know, the live stream setup that they had and that we were all able to be together in person, you know, five of, you know, four or five of us were on camera at one time and, you know, able to interact uh, with the chat all, all at the same time too, and not sacrificing that. That was a, that was a cool weekend. I, I want to tell a little bit of a funny story here. So obviously your guys' office, I assume John Boy Media office is an undisclosed location, right? So no one knows where it is, but it's, it's a yeah, I know. Yeah. But you don't like hand out the address. So people aren't out there shouting. So Jot, I'll give you no, the address. You don't need to do that. Uh, Jot, <laughs> I have no idea where you're going for this, Alex. I, I'm, so, I'm so, trapped in. So Josh, as you know, is a huge Sean Boy fan. Um, and sure. so one of our friends, we're not going to disclose where this was, but uh, oh, this- he saw John Boy because John Boy takes oh, the train. okay. Right? I was like, where? John Boy <laughs> takes the train. And so he saw yeah. John Boy. And now Josh is looking, how can he ambush John Boy at the train station? So what? do you have any this- tips for us? You're- <laughs> this is um, not. Do I have any tips on how to ambush John <laughs> yeah. Boy? Um. Josh is blushing right now. This is okay. I'm just going. I'm just talking random stuff. You two are very tall. Yes, somewhat. Not not compared to Bobby though. Jim, because Jim is Mm. short. Jim is a very short man. So if you ambush Mm. him and you're a big man, he's gonna run. I mean, well, he may run. I don't know. I mean, what what's an instinct of somebody kind of walking towards you that is bigger than you? You probably turn around. So act shorter than you are. Does that happen to Bobby when people come up to him? Do they see him and then start running? I'm sure. I'm sure that's just an issue that Bobby has yeah. in his life. It's just he. Oh, oh man, there is a big person <laughs> approaching me. What is he? What is he going to be doing to me? Um, so I'm sure that is just a problem that he has just in yeah. general. Him in my car is a is a funny oh. sight. And I and I ask him because I have I have a Honda Cross Tour, which is an SUV. And I ask him like, "You're right. You're right. Like, you need to like do anything." He's like, no, this is one of the more spacious cars that I've been in. He's like crunched up. I'm like, oh, okay. how is he on an airplane? Cool. Let's hope they give him extra legroom pays. Yeah. He pays $70 to get the upgrade to the emergency exit yeah. row because that has slightly more room. And it is, he says it's worth it every single time. Um, adv- all right, but I'll give you, so the advice to ambush John Boy is to act shorter than you actually okay. are. 
And then um, I'm just taking notes. Just scream, talking giants versus the world. <laughs> I'm just trying to make sure. Yeah. Just scream that. Figure it out. Okay. This... I'll scream it. Well, Josh will scream it anyway. <laughs> Alex, you caught me from left field. I no idea that was coming. I was so confused on the track you were taking. Just wanted to talk about it. I don't know. Thought it'd be funny. But. Yes. No. Interesting. I was gonna do the. Josh is gonna find him. I was. Gonna, <laughs> I was gonna do the. I already had my John Boy moment at the Yankee game. We're okay. I. Um, yeah, he was very happy. I was very happy. You could tell from the pictures. Uh, <laughs> transitioning now from what we were talking about at the draft. Um, you know, you guys. At John Boy Media HQ. I mean, I know it's like it's we're in June. It's like past draft time. But again, we haven't spoken in a while. So, you know, Thibodeau, Neil, we got our guys at five and seven. Got some other guys in this draft as well. Um, we got a wide receiver again. And, you know, still interesting to me. But just, I guess, your overall thoughts on the draft and these top guys we're going to see now on the field coming August, September and beyond. Yeah, my... Thoughts on the draft is that it is really centered around getting young guys in here where I feel like we did a lot of our prep and we did our mock drafts and, hey, you look at the ages of the guys that I think we were drafting. It's 22, 23, maybe sometimes even 24. Um, Because of the whole opt-out year with COVID, the next couple years are still going to have an impact with that where the extra year of eligibility that guys gain. So more of the well-known guys are some of the older guys, the guys that have more stats, the guys that have more games logged in under their belts, especially when you're looking at after the first round, right? Um, you know, if you're good, you're good. And you're good. if you're a top 10 pick, you're a top 10 pick. You know, I don't think it necessarily matters what, you know, how, how old you are. But um, so it, it was a young class, very versatile, where they can do multiple different things. And then also I, I have a hard time looking at this draft class and not thinking that Joe Shane really did just trust his evaluations of players and his top 30 visits, because besides DJ Davidson, there was no player that was taken from like a small school, right? Like, Hey, like this, Oh, look at this, this local, this local small school, like Will Hernandez came from a small school. Oh, Shane Zimenez came from a small school. All those guys came from like small schools that you never heard of. They didn't, that didn't happen in this draft class. Every single one of these guys was taken from a big, from somewhat of a big school besides DJ Davidson. Oh, maybe Daniel um, Bellinger, right? San Diego State's not huge. I don't know. It's still, it's, you know, it's still like that Division yeah. One school that's in like a major conference. True. So yeah. um, there's a lot of undergrads, <laughs> and they and they de- and they desperately needed a tight yeah. end too. So if there's one position that Joe Shane is really going going to do his own research into, it's tight end. Um, and Daniel Bellinger was also a senior bowl mm-hmm. guy too. So he was there. So they had, a, so if they had an opportunity to meet him, they, they, they met him there. So, and that was, so that was a thought that we had after the draft, just like, did Joe Shane only trust his evaluations and guys that he kind of got his chance to get his hands on in terms of meetings and in terms of attending uh, pro days and whatnot. Cause he did also attend and him and Bobby Johnson attended the university of North Carolina pro day, which that's where we draft those two offensive linemen. Right. So it was hard not to think that as soon as the draft was over. And then lo and behold, 24 hours after the draft was over, they fired Chris <laughs> Pettit. So it's like, oh, that that was true. You know, you don't like to get conspiracy theories sometimes, but that was ultimately true. I do like this draft class. It was just very unconventional from besides the first three guys of the draft. And then Daniel Bellinger, nobody really heard of these guys. Nobody really heard of these guys. So, um, but I do like the draft class and it's a very, very important one. 11 draft picks. Yeah. I mean, here's my thoughts on it. I wouldn't say I'm not like a conspiracy theory guy. So I'm not going to be like uh, one of those people who's like Joe Shane told Chris Pettit about Charles Cross so he could leak it and then fire it. Like, I don't know. Right. Who, who the hell knows? Yeah. No one knows. I'm not going to make that up. But I do think I don't even think this is a conspiracy theory that Joe Shane was limited this year in his draft evaluations because he didn't trust what yes. the scouts believed. And I think that's not even a conspiracy. That's just an, an apparent fact, or at least a very likely fact. Um, no, they fired yeah. multiple area scouts, national scouts. They fired the, um, you know, the director mm-hmm. of college scouting. So it's not, it's not a conspiracy. It, it, it was a conspiracy theory. If you had that thought, the second the draft ended, which that that yeah. is, if you go back to our draft recap episode that Bobby and I had, we're like, we kind of think this. 
And then lo and behold, like he fired, you know, uh, you know he fired two guys. He, he fired somebody from uh, from the judge regime that he hired. And then they obviously fired Chris Pettit when, uh, you know, and then he came in when Gettleman came in. So th- that is one. It, it's one of those things of, yeah, you look at this draft class, you feel good about it. You feel good about the young, you know, the, the rawness of a lot of these guys, the versatility and how they can kind of develop. But also it is in the back of your brain that, man, that Joe, it sucks that Joe Shane is coming into this terrible, terrible situation and can only rely on his evaluations. And one of our listeners was actually listening to the draft stream of the cover one guys, cover one sports. And they're very much a Buffalo Bills centered show. And it's funny that whenever the Giants had, you know, were, were picking, especially in the top four rounds, top five rounds, they would say, oh, that was a that was a Bills top 30 visit. That was a Bills top 30 visit. Oh, the Bills met with this guy at the Combine. So it's <laughs> funny how, you know, a lot of the guys that Joe Shane took and the Giants took, they were also on the Bills radar. And we knew that when Joe Shane came in here, the second that he stepped foot, you know, in, at the door to be, you know, to get the job, that he had rounds one through four done in terms of those evaluations. And it was just the the back end of the draft that he needed. Yeah. To I mean, to. they took James Cook, right? The Bills took James Cook. I mean, if that tells you anything, yes. we know the Giants were interested in him. I think that's part of yes. the reason why you saw, you know, quote unquote reaches is because Joe Shane felt like he knew those guys. He wanted them, you know, despite the value, maybe even at certain points, he felt like those were his guys. That's kind of my standpoint on it. I think we're going to see a different type of draft next year once he has all his guys in place. That's for sure. I'm pretty confident in that. Yeah, and and, and also really, like I said, I, I want to see more like, I kind of want to see like, let's say a small school guy thrown in there every once in a while. Yeah, or, yeah, O'Shane, Will Hernandez, That no, those picks didn't work out from small schools, right? But just, it was so hyper-centered on, like, the bigger schools. Now, yes, there is San Diego State in there, um, and that's not the biggest school, but, like, like nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. And, like I said, tight end was a, um, you know, an, an obvious position of need that the Giants had, so it doesn't surprise me that if you do consider San Diego State a small school, that that's the, you know, that's the position that we went that route in. Uh, but you talked about just taking reaches, possible reaches, and this is something that, I knew about Joe Shane, you know, we knew about Joe Shane coming in here. He talks more about the character of guys and the type of player that you're bringing into the building more than like talent. Like there are more quotes out there. And, you know, when I was doing my prep for Joe Shane and when I kind of knew that he was going to be the GM and I'm like, can you talk to me about like what, like what you think about players? And he's just talking about the, the, the character, the character, the character, the culture, the culture. And I do think, you know, the, the word culture is definitely overthrown and it's overused by everybody, by fans, by coaches, by GMs, by teams, whatever. It's overused, but Joe Shane and the Bills, they showed that track record of we are not going to make the conventional pick just because it should be the conventional pick, but we're going to bring in guys that are right for our building. Where I feel like Dave Gettleman talked about that, but then you bring in guys like DeAndre Baker who are caught sleeping in meetings and then that bites you in the ass, right? So I think Joe Shane actually is like about that. I, I want to talk about, well, first of all, I, th- I don't know if you mentioned Ellerson Smith too, because I feel like he came from a small school last year, our fourth round pick, or Northern Iowa. So, I mean, I, I, I would say that's pretty small school as well. Yes. Um, well, that well that was with the uh, that was with the sure. previous regime, right? That was with the yeah, previous yeah. regime where they're trusting their scouts, where they're where they have all of their you know guys that they're using at their discretion. You know, this is including Chris Pettit, this is including their area scouts. So that was you know the second year of Judge and the fourth year of Gettleman, where it's like okay, we feel like we have our complement of of scouts here, so we're going to be able to trust. Hey, if there's a third, fourth round pick that you really that one of our scouts is really the slamming the table for we're going to trust him right and i think that's kind of like what that ellerson smith was even though i think ellerson smith was also at the senior bowl and dave gettleman joe judge really love their senior bowl guys and i think the bills like their senior bowl guys too but they really joe judge and gettleman really <laughs> like their senior bowl guys yeah ellerson smith someone who i'm excited to see for sure this season he's like my underrated guy i really want to see how he develops he could go. He could be like the number three edge rusher, which right now he is. Uh, he actually was at, at OTAs. He was getting starting reps next to Aziz when Kayvon has been wearing the red jersey. So 
I could see Ellerson being like the number three edge rusher, and that's even including in front of Quincy Roche. If he's fully healthy, if he's developed, if he's added more muscle mass, but also I could see him being cut. Like honestly, like right right now, if before OTAs, I said that Ellerson Smith wouldn't really make you know is one of those guys that possibly wouldn't make my main fifty three man roster. Um, I do think that he will make it, but I can easily see this regime being like. Yeah, you didn't really do much in college. You were like 240 pounds when you had your best production. You took a year off, and then you barely played last year. And when you did play, you were used as like a filler for stunts. That's that's what he was used. So um, I can easily see this regime being like, no thanks. But he's an athletic guy that does have upside. So um, I'm, I'm I am excited if he does make the team and he shows and he earns his keep. I'm excited to see what he and what he, he could can definitely do. be hung on to. I would think as a practice squad guy if need be i mean i don't think teams are rushing after him so i mean something to think about no and then also talking about otas um we already mentioned his name daniel bellinger has been involved a lot here uh early we could talk about where he goes because i I do want to talk about him a little bit where he goes in the depth chart when it comes to tight end but speaking of guys days two to three you have a favorite pick the giants made on days two, two and three, yeah, I feel like the conventional one is saying Daniel <laughs> Bellinger, but we can we can talk about him more. But I love Micah McFadden, uh, I, I really do, and I think he can have the impact day one of maybe not being this every down linebacker, but if he can get the timing of the NFL, the speed of the game, and if he can get the timing of Wings defense, I think he can be like this maybe three three, four sack, eight to 10 QB hit kind of situational pass rusher for an interior and for an interior linebacker. That's really good. I'm not, I'm not talking about an edge rusher. I'm talking about an interior linebacker. Um, And if Wink Martindale wants to blitz this year, somebody is going to have to get the production. And if we want to have a defense that is top 10 in QB hits, maybe top, top half of the league in QB hits. Cause last year that, that department was just so, so bad. Uh, Graham would try to blitz and nobody would get home and then he would have to drop everybody back in coverage. And if you're not getting home when you're blitzing, then nobody's going to get home at all. So we were just so bad in the QB hit department last year, got no pressure on the quarterback. Um, So I would love if Micah McFadden, if Wink Martin wants to come up with these elaborate blitz packages, if Micah McFadden can be that situational pass rusher that comes in from the interior, not on the edge, but from the interior um, going on stunts, doing whatever, coming from up the middle, um, being patient, you know, just uh, being a bowl in a china shop. So uh, I would love to see that out of Micah McFadden this year. And I think that is the role that he can play from day one. The player I'm really excited about is actually Cordell Flott. I, funny enough, I know Bobby, uh, when you guys reacted to the pick, he kind of got upset because he didn't really know who he was. I actually did know who he was. I didn't know who Wondell Robinson was, but we'll, you know, we can talk oh, about that, that later. I mean, not get it. <laughs> <Same> <laughs> that didn't end so well, but. All right, we switched. I I knew who I knew who Wandale was, was, but I didn't know. Did who you see Alex's knew- Wandale Robinson <laughs> reaction though? That's a different. No, I just started screaming "Who" over and over again. Repeatedly, yeah. <laughs> I was very upset. Yeah, but then I we well, cooled so, down. So cool Bobby down. <laughs> Bobby reacted that way to Cordell Flott, not because of sure. Cordell Flott, but just because it was a stretch of picks that he didn't have full evals of. So at that point, it was Wondell Robinson, who he, he didn't have a complete eval of, but he did have an eval of. It was Josh Azudu, and who he didn't have any idea who he was, and especially he's the big offensive yeah. line guy. Um, and then was a Cordell Flott. Yeah. So he was the the third the third pick of, of, of day two. Um, so, uh, yeah, so by that point, the third player that he was kind of iffy on, that he didn't have a full eval, so he... Lost it at that point. He lost I mean, his. That's mind, how I so. felt. So yeah, what did what did you think of Flot? What did you think of Flot? Kind of. I liked in? him a lot because when I saw his size, I was like, okay, this guy is a slot, right? He played slot mainly in college, etc. But I felt like his size, if he could bulk up like ten, maybe fifteen pounds, he has potential to play on the outside. And that's kind of at the point that we knew James Bradbury was going to be cut. Uh, I was looking at Derek Stingley. Actually, funny enough, I think that's how pretty much everyone saw Cordell Flot. And you see him playing yep. opposite of him, and you're like, oh, you know that guy. That guy can play. Uh, and you know, I don't know. I I don't. I didn't even have like a full full eval on him, like I did some players. But 
you know, I, I liked him for sure. I didn't wasn't really sure where he was going to go. I thought he was more of a fourth round guy, um, but I certainly liked him coming out. I really liked his flexibility in the slot and in the outside. So that was my my thing about him. But Wandell Robinson, I was just upset because, you know, you do all this work for the draft and then you don't really know a guy in the second round. Like it's yep. just it's devastatingly annoying. Tough. You know, third round, at least it's like, OK, you know, whatever. But in the second round, it's it, it's so annoying. So that was part of my reaction to it. It wasn't as much the player. Yeah. And then obviously the wide receiver. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's Kadarius Tony 2.0. Do we really need two of those guys? But then obviously, <laughs> I don't know. It was it was a stressful day that day. Day two was definitely confusing, I think, for a lot of Giants fans. Though You know, we had True. the high of day one. Yeah. And then day two was just like, oh, my God, what is happening? <laughs> Well, no, a lot of a lot of project players, and you know, hey, it's 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 uh, competing for today, building for tomorrow, right? That's that's the phrase that I think, I think Joe Shane has actually tried to live by uh, this this offseason. There are some moves that I don't get. Um, there's like, and this even includes like restructuring, not restructuring, but you know, renegotiating of Blake Martinez, Sterling Shepard to to stay for this year. Like, yeah, it makes sense, but there's still a void year and there's dead, there's more dead money next year than what it would have been if you just outright cut him this year. You know, cutting Logan Ryan is something that I will never understand. And I really think that's going to bite us in the ass. Uh, but in, you know, building for, you know, building for today, competing for, nope, that's not it. Competing for today, building for tomorrow. You know, those day two picks, I think best kind of, you know, uh, they best live by that kind of phrase because Wondell Robinson. Yeah. I think he has a role. He has a role year one. And I think that, you know, he's going to be in the slot kind of permanently, but creating yards after the catch, but he needs to ha- get refinement as a, as a route runner. I mean, that's just one thing, but he can have the yards after the catch element right away. Um, and then uh, Azudu, obviously you're a little bit raw, you know, very, but very athletic, athletic upside. And I think a guy like Bobby Johnson, uh, they're going to like that. And then Cordell Flott, one of the youngest players in the draft. Um, and he needs to bulk up himself and and he needs to get a little bit more refined, I think, you know, some people have talked about, hey, at like the top of the route, maybe. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's uh, day two was a strange day, but it, they're they're making their investments and they're and they're making their you know they're taking their chances on those coaches developing those guys, which uh, I uh, which if if these guys are here for the long haul, then I like. I said we can talk about Dan Bellinger a little bit later. Let's talk about him. So making you know getting his name thrown around now with how much involvement he's been getting in OTAs for the Giants right now. And, you know, there's the whole thing, OTAs, like, how much do you talk about it? How much do you buy into players participating? Because it's everyone. It's all these 80, 90 guys. They're all going to get a chance to do something. So, like, how much do you, oh, Dan Bellinger caught a a 30-yard touchdown, a whatever. Like, he, he's been on for five consecutive plays. Like, how much do you feed into that? Well, so looking at the tight end position, I mean, the Giants made a couple signings this offseason. They brought in the guy from the Texans, uh, Aikens, and they they signed Jones. They brought back Chris Myrick, who's you know won't do anything no matter what. But <laughs> could Bellinger be TE one? Like, is it possible that he could be the starting tight end for the New York Giants come when the season starts? I think he will be. I think he will be, and I think he. I mean, he is right now. Um, you know, usually it takes coaches. A long time, a long, like, like an unfathomably and dumb long time sometimes to get guys who are clearly better, you know, just because they're young, you know, that's why they don't play them. And that's why they don't start them right away. I mean, think back to 2019, we were trotting out Antoine Bethea every single week, but then Julian Love comes in here at safety and boom, he immediately like looks better, um, <laughs> which is which is crazy. So coaches take a very, very long time. Even think of Kadarius Tony last year. Now, yeah, he may be behind in some elements, but how difficult it is just to call a screen, how difficult it is just to call a slant and get him the ball. If there's, if there's cushion, you know, where, wherever he's running at, whether it's out of the slot or whether it's on the outside, you know, and then finally, like when they had no choice, but to play him because of, you know, other injuries and other guys going down, like he balled out, right? Um, it, so coaches, they have the tendency to take a long time to play guys. And it, and I like how Daniel Bellinger during OTAs is tight end one. And it's not because of injuries. Um, it's because that I think he is the best tight end in the tight end room right now. Um, Ricky Seals Jones is healthy. He's, he's all right. Uh, can't block Jordan Aikens. Eh, he's healthy. He's a veteran. He He's all right. 
but also can't block. And Daniel Bellinger uh, could be the most complete tight end on the roster right now um, by being able to block, by also being a, a pass catching threat as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I've now after these past last year at least, I, I don't really care what happens. Daniel Jones can throw ten million yards and and fifty thousand touchdowns in training camp, and I wouldn't care. I just want to see what happens on the field when it comes week one. No, I mean, here, <laughs> well, here's where I'm going to stop you. Here's where I'm going to stop you because Daniel Jones has struggled through camp in 2020 and 2021 yeah. from everything that we heard in 2020. And then definitely in 2021, I know, I, I know for a fact, you know, we would have the beat reporters on and, you know, uh, somebody actually who I, you know, a listener of talking giants who we met recently, he told me about the podcast that we had Zach Rosenblatt on when snacks and I were up in Massachusetts mm-hmm. uh, for the Patriots joint practices. And Zach Rosenblatt was just like, I don't mean to be morbid about this offense, but they're just not good. And he got a lot of hate. Like Zach Rosenblatt got a lot of hate for like, oh, you know, it's not even week one yet. And you're saying that this Giants offense <laughs> is doomed because they look bad in training camp. It doesn't matter. Jason Garrett is hiding all the plays. They don't want to show anything. They don't want to show their I hand. I love that. Yeah. I hate I I hate those expressions because training camp is very, very important. And OTAs and all this, it's all very, very important. And if the offense looks bad, it's probably going to be bad. Like, they're not just going to snap their fingers and just turn into the greatest show on turf. You know, I feel like that's what a lot of people and that's what a lot of fans were just hoping would happen. And it just has not. So that I do think training camp matters. Now, the preseason games, I think that that is what kind of does not matter. Um, it, it matters to an extent, but training camp and when you're out there every single day and when people are taking notes on, you know, how an offense is moving, um, that's the stuff that I do think matters. So um, whoever's getting reps, especially if everybody's healthy in a room, all of that stuff is extremely, extremely important, especially when you're talking about a new coaching staff, so many new players, et cetera, et cetera. I would also say it's not as much about the people who are doing bad, right? Like if someone's doing bad in training camp, then they're most likely going to be bad during the season. It's more about these players that are getting really hyped up during training camp and during OTAs. And then sometimes they, you know, aren't as hype, aren't as hyped up during the season. They don't perform to that level. That's kind of more where my, um, what, what's the word? Uh, I, I can't think of a word. Thought, thought process. Pro, there you go. Thank you. That's where my thought process is at. It's not more about the, you know, this guy's not looking good. Daniel Jones isn't looking good. Uh, you know, he's going to be awful or whatever, right? It's more about Daniel Jones is playing great. Do I really believe that, you know, in training camp, I want to see it on the field. It's more of that, that process, I think, for yeah. me. Yeah, we all fell victim to the Lorenzo Carter hype train of uh, 2019, 2020, 21 <laughs> and then he you know, and then he gave he just, it to us at the end straight. remember uh last season right he was turning oh, it yeah. off i was gonna Ugh. i was so upsetting i made the joke <laughs> of i mean I, I made the joke and you know when i would clip games and stuff like that best player in the nfl lorenzo carter throughout the, <laughs> throughout the last five weeks of the season he was really and it's a shame that his one of his best reps of his nfl career came against the chargers where justin herbert completed that insane monster explosive play sure. throw um, like Lorenzo Carter dipped the, and it was against Rashawn Slater too. He dipped the edge, like showed the flexibility and dip that he really hasn't showed a lot in his NFL career over Rashawn Slater, all pro rookie of the year, whatever you want to call him, Rashawn Slater. And he puts a licking on Justin Herbert, but it's still like a 60 yard play. So of last course. two minutes, of course, too, with our 90, whatever, 80 to whatever. Yes, that yep. was the play. That was that I was remember the play it. that kept the streak alive. Let's what go. is it? Eighty-one to zero, eighty-eight to zero. It doesn't really matter when you get that high, but it blew it blew my mind more that the Giants just scored. Yeah, get a field it's goal. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Are we gonna buy in, guys? To the well, I mean, we're we're talking about it. Daniel Jones to Wandell Robinson, insane catch. The ball was underthrown. That concerns me about Aaron Robinson, by the way. <laughs> that was my concern. When <laughs> right, I, I remember that. we talked about that. You said that. Well, here's what I have about that. Um, that was a play that Wondell Robinson really ran well at Kentucky. Um, is those slot fades. Now think back to 2019 and 2020. The Golden Tate and Daniel Jones connection was like oddly good. Golden Tate was not good, but... 
the Golden Tate and Daniel Jones connection, especially in 2019, was very, very good. And do you remember that play, 2019 Thursday yep, Night Football? I remember it. <laughs> where Golden Tate ran a slot fade, and it was a perfectly placed ball by Daniel Jones. Golden Tate just breaks one tackle, and he just basically walks backwards into the end zone, and, that, and that's an explosive play touchdown. I am predicting that that is a play that Daniel Jones is telling Brian Dable, hey, look at this film from 2019. Look at how this worked. Look at how this worked for us a couple times, the slot fade. Wondell Robinson did that more than a few times at Kentucky, and he was successful with it. Let's do that again, Brian Dable. Let's do that again. And Brian Dable has been known to listen to his players, and he's like he's gone on record saying that I'm going to ask Daniel Jones, and I'm going to ask what these guys like to run. And then we're going to see if we can implement it. So that play and that kind of combo, Daniel Jones to Wondell Robinson slot fades, is something I think we're going to see quite often this year. I will forever defend Golden Tate. The contract wasn't good, I'll admit it, but I thought he was a solid player for the Giants, okay? Josh screamed at me for, I don't know, a year. I don't care. I'm going to stick with it. I I will take it to the grave that Golden Tate was not bad. Um, That was it. Anyway. So, oh boy. So, so many arguments about that. Funny enough, how much probably the you, most like how much was contested, that contract? I don't even remember that thirty-one million of a player. Why are you? But he was good. That much money? Or, oh, he wasn't good. He was okay. I get it, man. But he was a security blanket. And also, I mean, the thing the thing that really got me about Golden Tate is that they traded away Odell yeah. Beckham Jr. and then the next day they signed <laughs> Golden Tate. It's like, well, what are we doing? Are we like rebuilding? Like, what, what are we doing? And and the whole thing that uh, like Bobby and I would also go back about, you know, back and forth about this too. It's like, well, you have to sign somebody. Well, it's like, don't sign Golden Tate. <laughs> oh no, man! Especially when you had Shepard. Especially when you had Shepard, who was a good slot receiver, and then you get Golden Tate and you bump Shep to the outside. Even though Shep did fine, you know, but still. Bad process. Agreed. Bad process. Bad process. But I think Golden Tate was decent for what he came in to do. I got. I don't want to talk, talk about, it. about it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Wandell Robinson. <laughs> right. I think he'll be better. I think Wandell Robinson will be better than Golden Tate. <laughs> I hope Wandell Robinson will be better than Golden Tate. But I, I think that that play, yeah. that specific play, um, and especially when we're talking about an offense and a quarterback that desperately needs to get more explosive. Um, and I think Daniel Jones wants to be explosive. I just think it was it was an offense and it was a scheme that told him not to. I mean, what the first thing that Dan, uh, that Jason Garrett came in and said about Daniel Jones is, yeah, we want to hone down, we want to hone down the turnovers, we want to hone down the interceptions. Okay, <laughs> great, but that shouldn't come at the cost of not scoring points. Okay, great, yeah, like Daniel Jones's fumble rate and his interception rate was down compared to his rookie year, but don't let that come at the cost of not scoring points. And that's exactly what happened the last two years. It's crazy that they brought in Kenny Galladay for $72 million, right? He's the mm-hmm. definition of an explosive play wide receiver. And then they run no explosive plays with him or with anyone. He's a contested catch guy. Contested and catch. open. You know, Jake from Jake from the home game against oh Dallas was the first time that he actually got like a legitimate opportunity to have a contested catch. And he got it crazy. So. Yeah, it was wild. Daniel Jones is also, this is something that Daniel Jones also needs to get in his head too. Daniel Jones is this type of quarterback that doesn't really understand the the premise of throwing it up and then just allowing your, allowing your wide receiver to really make a play on a football. Like everything, I think everything with him and why this is, why training camp is so important too, because Galladay was just in shorts the <laughs> entire summer last year and they lost that time that they can throw with each other. Um, you know, Daniel Jones did. I don't think Daniel Jones fully got how to throw to Kenny Galladay because you can literally throw it anywhere to Kenny Galladay and he can stretch. He has the radius. He has the size. You know, he has that athleticism to kind of go up and get the ball. And Daniel Jones has never had a wide receiver like that, where he's always just had to place a perfectly placed ball, whether it is in front of you, like a back shoulder that's intentional. You know, all of those things had to be intentionally placed. Whereas Kenny Galladay, you don't really need to intentionally place the ball anywhere. Just kind of allow him to go up and make a play. Here's here's a good Giants wide receiver topic that Alex will get all hyped up about. Uh, Darius Slayton. We've, the two of us have talked about the guy a lot recently. Justin, keep or cut Darius Slayton right now if you had to make a decision. I keep him. What the hell kind of question it, is that? 
I don't understand. Some people are delusional. I don't understand. It's a oh my big God. question. This is the this thing that pisses me off the most on Twitter. So it's, much. It's not a. It's not a. Yeah. Question, yeah. Don't out your co-host like that. You have to. No, it, it's it's not a bad question because it's 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 a question that Bobby. You know, we did our fifty-three man prediction pod, and you know that was a question that we did ask. That was the first question that we asked about the wide receiver room, and I do think you need to keep him because you just don't know what the health of the front four guys are going to be. Like all of them have question marks. All of them, besides Wondell Robinson. But you know the top three guys. You know they well, Wondell Robinson has a question mark because he's a rookie. <laughs> you know, um, so then yeah, obviously Shep has the the health problems. Scalde has the health problems, and then Kadarius Tony. I think is is also kind of a shoe in to miss some games. So I think that's why you kind of have to keep Darius Slayton around. It's it's the Slayton hate that gets me. I get it. He had a couple bad drops last year. But then people act like he was the only bad player on the Giants. Like it's not like our whole team was just shit. Like our whole team was shit. Like what do you, I don't understand people who are like, oh my God, can you believe what Darius like? Could you believe what the whole Giants team was doing? That's really how I looked at yeah. it. And the first yeah, two Darius Slayton's a fifth round pick yeah too. he's a fifth round pick and his first two seasons he was phenomenal for what he was in a fifth round pick yeah. right he, he was yeah, a great me. great wide receiver had the connection with daniel jones you know he had he had the big playability in his second year there was you know that i remember that green bay catch like he, he had a lot of good touchdown catches uh and he was he was a big guy for us it felt like in certain times he was wide receiver one he was kind of and i think now He's wide receiver, what, four or five? He he brings value. Ideally. Yeah. And, and he, Especially at wide receiver four or five he brings. Yeah. yeah. And then what are you going to do? Bring some, like, you know, everyone loves Sills Army. I get it. But you're not going to bring David Sills or CJ Board or even, uh, what's the guy, Richie Colin James. Johnson. Like, come on. Like, Big yeah. contributor last Colin season. Johnson. You know, when, like, all three of our. Oh, my God. <laughs> when all three of our starting wide receivers like, were out last year. Remember when Colin Johnson was our wide receiver one? For some games. Hey, Colin Johnson against Atlanta got me kind of excited. Cooked up a little bit for you. It was exciting. Kind of excited. Oh, yeah. He, he was like, oh, <laughs> this is a guy. Yeah. yeah. It's just I, I hate when people overreact to things. It, like, it, it annoys me. Like, I think people, I get it. We all love this team, so we want everything to be the best all the time. But sometimes you just need to be patient. Like, Darius Slayton's a human being. He's not a robot. Like, you know, people make mistakes. And you got, and it's not like he made, he has made mistakes throughout his entire career. He's not been a klutz throughout his entire career. He had one bad season. I think you just got to, you know, part of the reason he's getting all these drops, his confidence is low. And it's probably because people are shitting on him on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's one of those things too. It's like, okay, if you don't want Darius Slayton, then, okay, then do you really want like two special teamers at wide receiver? Um, Do you? Do you only do you want one less wide receiver on the roster? Like, do you only want five of them? And then CJ Board is that last wide receiver. And then let's just say you lose one or two of your wide receivers due to injury, and then you have uh, the the starting crew of CJ Board, Kenny Galladay, and Wandale Robinson. Like, those are your three wide receivers. So I think it's. An, I I actually do think the Giants are going to carry six wide receivers. So like my, my my kind of projection now is Darius Slayton as that fifth wide receiver. And then CJ Board as as the sixth guy because I think he can be both very sufficient on special teams and then also he's decent as a pass catcher too. So um, and that's something that I like just about the roster in general is that you look up and down and it's just like oh this guy isn't just a special teamer he can also like play the game of football too which is nice. Yeah, a lot of Keon Crossan and what was the guy Nate Ebner? God, Nate Ebner. I mean, we had two fullbacks on the roster. It was a uh, um, Gillespie. Elijah Penny and Colin Colin Gillespie. Um, Gillespie, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's no more, mm. no more of those guys. Yeah, Dable so wants a fullback good, though. Dable you know, wants he, a fullback. He does. I kind of felt like we should have kept Eli Penny. I don't know. I thought he was always decent. You know, a, a lot of people, like I, a lot of people, would agree with you. Like a lot of like, I, I think Bobby might might even agree with you too. But because uh, fullbacks are valuable, and yeah. especially one like Elijah Penny, who imp- has improved as a fullback, he has improved as a blocker. Yeah. Throughout the years, have kind of gone on. 2018, 2019, like his rookie years, first two years, he wasn't that good. But then he kind of took some big strides in 2020. Has, has he been um, signed? I don't know. But the Giants do have Jeremiah Hall. Yes. And J- Jeremiah Hall, UDFA from Oklahoma, he's the only fullback that is listed on the Giants roster right now. But you can even call him like a tight end. Like yeah. You can call him, you can kind of call him a whatever. 
Um, so he may like fill that H back role. I actually think that he is going to make the team. I think he is going to make, he could be like that fourth tight end on the roster. Mm -hmm. Um, but also be like this H back that lines up in the, in the backfield and just is like that, a a lead blocker. Um, and he can also catch the ball too. So uh, he could be a little bit of a weapon. Yeah. I I think we had him in our 53 man roster as well. So yeah, I'm excited to see what he can do. Someone we can see what happens in training camp. Speaking of training camp, amazing Mm. transition there. Uh, who, like what battles are you most excited for? Let's give two battles, two positions that you're excited to see the battles for you go. And then I'll, I'll say something cause I can't help myself. Indeed. <laughs> left guard. Yeah. I think left guard. Um, I, I don't even think that should be a battle. Uh, I, I kind of, no, no, no. I take that back. I want Shane Lemieux to win because I do think the best version of the giants offensive line this year is if Shane Lemieux is playing up to a starting standard. Um, I do eventually want Josh Azudu, like year two. I think that should be his job. I think he should kind of take this year for those mental reps, get coached up by Bobby Johnson. Um, I don't really love that they're cross-training Azudu right now because Azudu is a very raw player. He's not a very technically sound player, especially with his hands. So let's get him up to speed on left guard before we start putting him as second team left tackle. But neither here nor there. Left guard, I'm really looking forward to. And that's also, uh, you have uh, Garcia, Max Garcia thrown in there as well. So Max Garcia, Shane Lemieux, Josh Azudu, battle for left guard. That's number one. I'm going to go with CB2. I'm excited to see what happens there because I'm just fascinated. Is it going to be Aaron Robinson? Is it going to be one of the guys we brought in from Baltimore? Is it going to be Cordell Flott, which is kind of what I'm secretly hoping it is, but I'm not sure if he can gain all that muscle in time, (laughs) but uh, maybe like midway through the season we see him there, but yeah, that's what I'm excited. Just just kind of because of the mystery. You don't really know even what are the options. We don't really know. Yeah. Yeah, interior interior linebacker too is another one even though you you think that Tay Crowder I'm should sure, have yeah. that. But Tay Crowder is not great. Like he's not great. And again, we were talking about another guy who for the draft position that he was slotted in, right? That and that he was taken extremely successful player. Like Tay Crowder, we we did a on Bleeding Blue, we did a best Giants draft picks by each round in franchise history. Tay Crowder is already up there in seventh round picks for the best in franchise history, even though he's only played for, what, two years? <laughs> <laughs> he's, already, he's already up there because the draft is such a crapshoot, especially when you get to the seventh round. But I don't think interior linebacker two is solely, is solely lo- locked up. And frankly, I think that there should be like a rotation of guys. It should be Beavers on some, on some run-heavy downs. Uh, Crowder, Crowder can be like that, you know, the, just the veteran mix that's out there, probably getting the majority of the snaps. Micah McFadden could be out there on the passing downs to be out there as a blitzer too. So um, interior linebacker two, edge three. We talked about Quincy, uh, we talked about Quincy Roche and Ellerson Smith before, but edge rusher number three, who's going to be that first guy off the bench? You have Jihad Ward in there too. Who's going to be that first guy that comes off the bench uh, to either have, uh, maybe like a three, four linebacker set. And I'm talking about all edge rushers on the field at one time because they're all standing up or some of them are putting their hands in the dirt on the inside. I think you're going to see a lot of that from Wink Martindale this year. And that's why I actually think the Giants are only going to carry four interior defense alignment. I don't think they're going to carry five. I think it's going to be Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, and then two guys um, who are also on the team. I know Justin Ellis is one and then like DJ Davidson, maybe the fourth, but. I don't envision them carrying five because I think the Giants are going to utilize a lot more of their edge rushers this year um, in terms of having them out there on the field, being a part of whatever Wink Martindale wants to show and kind of mixing up different looks. And uh, I mean, I'll just throw out, I know we've been talking about it, not really a training day, a training camp competition, but just over the season, like how are our wide receivers going to shape out? Because last year was kind of like a shit show. And we have a couple injury-prone guys on there. So just what's going to happen behind the wide receiver number one? How is wide receiver number two and number three going to shape out? It's really... <laughs> Dude, I, I I have no clue because ideally, I, ideally we're finishing the year saying Kadarius Tony is wide receiver one. Kadarius Tony should end the year with the most catches and the most yards on the team. Uh, like that, that is how this should go. Um, and Kenny Galladay is probably not going to be a giant next year. I mean, he, he's just not. You can say the same thing about like a guy like Leonard Williams. These guys just have massive contracts. So 
like you're, you you talk about what is it going to look like behind wide receiver one? Are you envisioning Kenny Galladay as wide receiver yeah, one? Yeah, and then whoever behind him, I don't know how you want to do it. Probably two is Tony, three is Shepard, four is Slayton, I, I guess. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> we don't know. And, and the, the, the personal grouping frequency in terms of how often these guys are going to be on the field at the same time is something that I'm very excited about because the Giants went from in 2020 and 2021 running like the most 13 personnel in the National Football League, which is three tight ends <laughs> on the field at one time. Now we're going to go to the team that runs the most like 10 personnel with four wide receivers on the field at one time. And Dable did run a lot of that in Buffalo. Like his 10 personnel frequency was like second or third highest in the NFL from last year. So that's what I'm really excited for. Um, and Tony should take wide receiver one. Like we should end the year saying Kadarius Tony is the future wide receiver one of the New York Giants as the security blanket underneath for Daniel Jones in the slot and in the outside while also getting the yards after the catch. And he proved that last year with the yards after the catch. His advanced yards after the catch metrics were top 10 in the National Football League. And yes, he did log enough. He did log enough targets and he did log enough catches to actually be counted in those advanced metrics, which was cool to see. So in a scheme that actually does maximize and utilize the arch after the catch, Tony should be that guy. But I could very much see him playing like seven, eight games this year and missing nine and us saying, man, we have a Kadarius Tony problem that he's just not available for us enough. I can also very much see that happening. And I kind of think that is more likely than him really just busting out and just being awesome which sucks, but I'm, and I'm rooting for him. And I think he can be that guy, but I just think that is more likely next off season where we're having this Kadarius, Tony problem trade. What are we going to do with him thing rather than like, Oh, Kadarius, Tony, good, solid. He's here. Not a problem. And Wandell Robinson and Kadarius, Tony on the field at the same time. That's going to be interesting as well. I think Kadarius, Tony can be an outside guy though. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside guy though. Um, Cause you had the same thing with Tate and Shepard where Tate came in, he took over the slot. Shepard was primarily a slot wide receiver at that point in his career, and he went to the outside, and he was just fine. And frankly, Sterling Shepard had more slot wide receiver numbers from the outside than he did ever in the slot. It was very strange because Shepard with Daniel Jones became like this possession wide receiver, high catch rate, high first down rate on third down, and low average depth of target. And that's typically what like your slot possession wide receiver does. But Shep was doing all of that in 2019 and 2020 from the outside. Like in in 2020, they had like an 80% catch rate when Jones and Shep were on the field together. And when Jones was throwing the Shep, it was like an 80% catch rate. It was so freaking crazy. Um, Like that is like an insanely high catch rate. I mean, it's not like we're just talking about Sterling Shepard just getting screens. Like that never happened. You know, he was getting, you know, not not throwing Tim deep, but it was a really they had a really really good connection, and that is when Shep was on the outside. So I do think Tony, there can be a world where Tony and Wanda Robinson can very much coexist together while doing similar things in a way. Talking Giants, bleeding blue, talking football at Justin Panic on Twitter, John Boy Media. What, what what else do we got for the people, Justin? That's it. That's it, man. We're, uh, you know, we're just, I'm trying to just get ready for the season, man. That's, uh, you know, we were talking before we kind of came on. I'm trying to do some BTS behind the scenes things to upgrade some tech stuff. And, um, I want to have a good summer with some fun content uh, that I have planned on my own. Um, I, I maybe want, I want to try and start streaming. I want to try and start streaming, uh, NFL head coach oh. 09. <laughs> so I want to try and really get that going. Um, and, uh, I want to really, att- I really want to attack the talking football stuff. So YouTube, there you go. That that that's an ask. Um, talking football on YouTube. Uh, not sure if it's going to be probably not going to be a podcast this year, but it's going to be a dope YouTube channel. So uh, go subscribe over there. And we're going to have a lot of fun over there. And obviously, talking giants <laughs> versus the world too. So I I appreciate and I love nah, you, Justin. Well, By the way, Andrew Thomas never tweeted it out, so that's pretty upsetting. Well, you know, hey, it may take a little while. <laughs> maybe did, it's maybe that. it's delayed. <laughs> The shirts, you know, oh, we yeah. got to get the, I'm wearing, I'm actually wearing a hog Molly shirt okay. today. I'm at, I'm wearing the hog Molly shirt because we just put out a shirt called dirt bags mm. because that is what the giants offensive line is calling themselves this year. Yeah. They're calling themselves the dirt bags. So I'm retiring the hog Molly shirt 
by telling you to go get a dirt bag shirt if you want to. There you go. You know, Another if you plug. Want, if you want to, if you want to identify, yeah, too many plugs. No. What a who am I? No, yeah. Yeah. no, 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 go, no. Go ahead. Go off, Justin. King. We we thank uh, media, media some clowns. <laughs> Justin, <laughs> we thank you so much uh, for taking the time with us. Really appreciate it. Again, talking giants. Giant takes. Subscribe to both of those Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen, and then you could drop a follow on the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Facebook. Again, talking giants, the giant take. Thank you for listening or watching. We'll see you next time. Peace. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening.